Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Talking Ship. I'm Megan Fitzgerald. And I'm Katie Butterwitz. And this season, we are talking about Luke and Lorelai of Gilmore Girls. If you're just tuning in, last episode, we talked about the origins of Luke and Lorelai, setting them up as your big what-if crush, and what that is to have that person in your life, why it's fun, why it's horrible and frustrating and heartbreaking, and kind of what your options are for having this big crush person. You can pine, you can date other people to distract yourself, or you can go for it. And so this episode, we're talking about the dating other people. The dating other people. And I have to be honest with you, dear listeners, this was a more difficult episode for me to research than the first one. Because like as a big fan of the what if relationship, as a big fan of Luke and Lorelai, going back and watching all these other people, I was like, ugh, why? Like, I just went like, I in a new way went through all the cycle of emotions of like, what are you doing? Oh, he is great. Oh, no, he sucks. Like, all of it I went through again. And and for the most part, I was just like, can we just skip to the good stuff? <laughs> and it's also I forgot how many people there are and how well structured it is that they really come in at the worst moments. The worst moments. It's always, always, always like, I mean, listen, Amy Sherman Palladino's no fool. She knows that the reversal is 90% in the setup. So she's going to get you as close as she can before ruining it with something else. Mm hmm. Which is just rough. For sure. But some of these people, I think they learned from and they needed to go through to be in a healthy form of a relationship that they eventually find themselves in. I agree. Okay, so we're going to go into our, our segment, Relatable Content. It may. <laughs> we're going to list some dependent clauses. And if you find yourself thinking, it me. Well, this might be some relatable content for you, and you might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation yourself. Okay, you might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation if you hate every person that that certain someone in your life dates. You might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation if you get mad at them for their idiotic decision-making and their terrible taste, but you blame it on them, expecting them to be a better person. You might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation if you get weirdly possessive of that person. <laughs> and then you might be in a Luke and Lorelai situation if sometimes, you know, on the other side of it, too, they seem to have an opinion on every person you date, but like no real ground to stand on or, or seemingly like will to do anything about it. They just have a lot of thoughts and you're like, great, thank you for nothing. Thank you. I truly didn't ask, but <laughs> or or when they won't even like actually comment on it, they'll just glare at you from afar and talk to everybody else about it, but not you. Yeah, and you're like, okay, cool. Like, when were you going to let me know you had some major objection? Right, right. And if we're just friends, why wouldn't you just approach me about this, maybe? Yeah, if there's no stakes on it, that, that shouldn't be a weird conversation to have, right? No, no. <laughs> we're not better. It's uh, fine. <laughs> everything's great. Um, okay, so they do date a lot of people. So we're going to kind of do a rapid fire timeline of all the people that they date Okay, ready? Here we go. Season one, Lorelai starts dating Max Medina actually pretty early on, but it gets complicated because he's a teacher at the school and they break it off because it's 
rough for Rory. Then Lorelai hooks up with Christopher on her parents' balcony, which also was the night she was supposed to meet Luke to paint the diner. It wasn't an emergency. It's just me being a rat. Something came up. Yeah. Something, someone. Look, am I right? I'm sorry. And then in the very next episode, Rachel comes to town in this iconic entrance. Hey, tomorrow, if you have time, I'm planning on despising everyone who says, hey, how's it going? You're on. Hey, how's it going? Oh, no, that's just too easy. Lorelai's kind of really weird about Rachel. She's weirdly jealous. Rachel asks Lorelai to convince Luke that Rachel is in it for the long haul. And Luke and Lorelai have this awkward conversation that sounds a little like this. Take the plunge. She could be ready. Just jump in and believe her. Unless... You know, there's some other reason you don't want to. Like what? Like, I, I don't know. There's no other reason. So Lorelai's feeling a little dejected and lonely, and Lorelai and Max get back together. But then Luke starts getting weird about Rachel, and it eventually leads to Rachel being so frustrated that she leaves town, but she leaves Luke with a little bit of wisdom. I don't get this. Luke! What are you talking about? Another girl? What other girl? Oh, Rachel, no. You don't mean... She and I are just friends. I I told you that a thousand times. No. You told it to me once. And you could barely get it out then. But now Lorelai and Max are back together, which leads us to the end of season one with this Max-Luke standoff in her entryway. We see each other most every day. Well, sure. You've got the coffee. And she needs the coffee. So I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow. Same time as always. I'd count on a little later. Doesn't matter what time it is. I'll always be around. What are you bragging about? Like, that's so weird. (laughs) Well, I also noticed in all this, Lorelai's pretty nice to Luke's girlfriends. Luke is not nice to any of these men. Uh, That leads into the proposal of we should get married, which eventually leads into the proper Thousand Yellow Daisies proposal. So season two opens with Lorelai seeming a little ambivalent about the wedding, but she has to go tell Luke, do you remember this? And everyone follows her to the diner and watches at the window for her telling Luke. It's so sad. And also, so Gilmore Girls. So Gilmore Girls. So small towny. So then we have her bachelorette party. This is one of my favorite episodes of all time. And at her bachelorette party, Emily talks about the week she was getting married, how she was so excited to marry Richard. Lorelai calls Christopher from her bachelorette party. Luke had been really bitter about the wedding, but then makes her the hoopah and tells her that weddings are okay if you find that person. And in the very next scene, Lorelai goes to Rory and calls off the wedding and tells her... Are you and Max getting married? No. Why? Because I didn't want to try on my wedding dress every night. So then in this post-Max time... There's some weird jealousy stuff that comes up. Luke makes fun of her for dating that young guy. Lorelai asks him not to date a Chilton mom. Suki eventually has to have this conversation with her. Don't you understand that Luke is so into you? Okay, stop. He has had to watch you go from one guy to another, and then the engagement, and then the engagement was off. And patiently, he's waited, and now in walks this kid, and he says, my God, will she date anyone else in the world before she'll date me? Suki, that's, hey, maybe it's crazy. Maybe it's irrational, but it's there. Just look the guy in the eye. It's right there. 
And then throughout this, there's some really sweet moments with them. He buys the basket at that basket auction. She helps him with his uncle's funeral. She helps him find an apartment. It's very sweet. Then Christopher, swooping back in, comes to town and Lorelai tells Christopher, You and I have been so linked in my mind that I think I have unconsciously sabotaged every decent relationship I've had, including the one with Max, because I was waiting for you. And he freaks out at her and tells her that that's unfair, which uh, it was. It was unfair. He fully is like, I'm not going to take responsibility for all of your romantic failures. (laughs) And shortly after that, Luke and Lorelai get in a big fight because of the Rory-Jess car crash, which sends her right back into Christopher's arms. And basically the rest of the season is this Lorelai-Christopher plot that, of course, ends with Christopher leaving her at Suki's wedding because Sherry is pregnant. Okay, I don't know. Um, Just uh, drive safe. Drive safe? Yeah, drive safe. I mean, you know, (laughs) you're still Rory's dad, right? So whatever happens or doesn't happen between us, I still need you to drive safe. Season three is bookended by these dreams that they both have about each other. Season three opens with Lorelai's dream about having Luke's babies. Well, your dream is telling you that you are secretly in love with Luke and you want to marry him and have his twins. Uh, no. Try again. (laughs) Um, but in reality, she's still very devastated about the Christopher debacle. Then some casual dating happens. This is where she goes on the very boring date with John Hamm. So boring. So weird. So boring. But so I mean, they, they met at an auction. She should have right. known. Should have known. Uh, Luke starts dating Nicole. I would like to go back and interject that Nicole is a piece of paper. Nicole She's- is the worst. My most devastating commentary about anybody that my friends date that I think is boring is like, oh, they're nice. But Nicole's not even nice. It's not even nice. She walks in with this major, I'd like to speak to the manager energy and yes. no one needs that in Stars Hollow. Nicole is the original Karen. So Luke starts dating Nicole. Lorelai starts dating Alex. This is where like Luke teaches her how to fish. And he's kind of weird about it. And Lorelai's a little weird about Nicole. And the season ends with Luke going on this cruise with Nicole. He should have known. A cruise is garbage. Cruise is garbage. It's the worst. Can you imagine Luke Danes on a cruise? Oh my god. And then Luke has his dream where Lorelai comes in and asks him not to get married. I just wanted to say something to you in case we don't see each other before you go on your trip. Sure. What? Don't get engaged. So now we're finally, we're at season four. Lorelai and Rory come back from Europe and Lorelai is very weird about Luke's trip because Luke's being weird about the trip. And finally, she finds out that he proposed and they got married and there's more and they're getting divorced. They're very close at the beginning of the season four. This is one of my favorite Luke moments of Luke helping Rory move into Yale. If you take the truck, it comes with the mattress. I can't take the mattress. Then you can't have the truck. And that sticks you with the mattress. We've been here before. I recognize that tree. And then he and Nicole get back together because getting a divorce is just too big of a hassle. And Lorelai, rightfully so, I think is very judgmental about them dating, even though they're married. And then they get in this big fight when Luke moves in with her and doesn't tell her about it. I wasted a week of my life adjusting to the idea that you had moved only to find out that you haven't. How much adjusting did you have to do? Nothing's changed. I still see you every day. I still cook your food. I still serve your coffee. What do you care? I care. Why? Because I don't want you to move. Why? Why don't you want me to move? 
And they get interrupted. Then Lorelai and Jason start dating. Ah, digger styles. But as soon as Lorelai and Jason start dating, Nicole cheats on Luke. Lorelai bails him out of jail. I'm sorry, I'm having a quick stroke while we think about Nicole cheating on Luke. The audacity. I just, I just, we sh- she's just this like Desdemona that came into Stars Hollow and ruined everything. Which is actually how I feel about April Nardini, which we will actually talk about. Don't I we all? Fuck, fuck April Nardini, dude. So Luke and Nicole divorce. Then Lorelai and Jason break up, which leads us to the opening of the inn, which is where we will stop the timeline. Those are all the other people that they date that lead to the moment of them getting together. (sighs) I mean, I'm exhausted. How did they even have the energy? So let's talk about it because I think it happens to a lot of people where you watch your big what if back of your mind person date other people so let's talk about what that is like and how they handled it and how you know we as humans tend to handle it yeah it's really interesting because I right away when Rachel showed up I was like oh Lorelai I'm that bitch like not the first scene where they meet obviously because that's the like I'm planning on hating everyone who says hey how's it going and that's different but later they become buddies mm-hmm. Lorelai very much takes the path of like yeah I'm gonna befriend this girl and Rachel's like oh I don't have any friends and Lorelai's like hey if you can French braid hair I'll be your friend and I just was like I am so guilty of that one I was thinking about it I was like why is that a coping mechanism why do you want to Trojan horse your way into the relationship or into the <laughs> friendship or something is it this concept of like better the devil you know and listen maybe for some people But the more I thought about it, and maybe I'm just wholesome Pollyanna over here, but I was like, not for me. It's not that. Because when I do that, if I've done that in the past, (laughs) which I have, it's not because I have any malice or ill will. I'm not trying to like break them up or gain Mm -hmm. insider knowledge. It's literally just, it's kind of to prove to myself, okay, let me get to know this person Mm -hmm. either because they're important to someone who's important to me Or also because if I can get to know them and if I can be close to this person individually, A, that doesn't threaten my standing in the other person's life. If I am the third wheel in the relationship in a good way, like I'll always be around because they'll both both need me. And more, I think, wholesome than that. I just want to prove to myself like that it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Like I just want to prove that I can be friends with this person because it doesn't bug me, you know? Yeah. Look how fine I am. I'm totally fine. We're even buddies. I'm going to braid her hair. I love her. Yeah. We hang out. Yeah. Yeah. It's securing your spot in this person's life. Mm -hmm. And I think even in the way almost where she becomes the go-between for them, which I remember doing that at a very young age. So funny. the very look how I'm mean, like I yeah are we not just fun. are we just like friend zoning ourselves are we yeah. that are we that girl on the bachelor who falls on the knife for everyone to be like so and so's talking shit and she's not here for the right reasons because you always know mm-hmm. that girl you're like you're not gonna win because you just right. put yourself in the friend position yeah well I think I think we can both speak for ourselves when we are very good at putting ourselves in the friend position guilty is charged with the friend position but I think even I remember doing that as a kid but I think as a full adult I am not as good as a person and I usually I fully demonize the people that my person is dating in a 
fully unhealthy way. It's so cathartic for me when Nicole does actually become a trash person because you're like, I fucking knew it. But I'm definitely, I think one of the other coping mechanisms is the kind of needling that Lorelai does when she wants to talk about these relationships with other people, which she's like asking Suki about Rachel. And so she's like, is she pretty? I can't picture Luke with an L McPherson pretty. She's prodding around it and she's obviously never stepping into the territory of admitting that she has feelings. It's just like Suki is her best friend and obviously knows that that's why she's needling. But I do, I find like I will never address the person about their relationship unless it gets dire, which it eventually does with Nicole. Um, But it's a lot of like talking to other people and just trying to get some kind of cathartic validation of oh, that person that they're dating sucks. Yeah, you just want to know, like, listen, does everyone hate her? But at the same time, I would like to acknowledge that we are talking about fictional relationships and also ourselves while owning that, you know, real queens fix each other's crowns and Mm -hmm. women empower women. So we understand that it's a fine line, but also Nicole's a bitch. (laughs) Nicole sucks and i think you can tell the difference between a rachel and a nicole rachel was like a perfectly good i really don't think she was gonna run i really think that she was ready to be there and i think that you have to like sometimes set aside your pride when the person your crush is with is actually a good person and we even in when lorelei's doing the needling she doesn't get any validation like nobody nobody was like yeah, Rachel sucks. Everyone was like, yeah, she was smart and adventurous and beautiful. And the more Lorelai learns about Rachel, the more that proves to be true. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's worth noting, too, that like, the whole existential crisis I just had about being a good person and a good feminist is kind of what you go through when you're in this position of the what if Mm -hmm. relationship, because it triggers things in you that are more emotional than logical and (laughs) it challenges your ability to be rational about things and like you can try but I think a a lot of watching your what if person date is based in denial and is based in no 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 I'm fine and everything's fine and it causes these things to pop up in you that you wouldn't have had to confront otherwise right and I think that's why this fight between them about um, Luke moving in with Nicole gets as intense as it does because if it was just a conversation between two regular friends, it wouldn't turn into this big explosive argument. But because there's this tension of both of them suppressing some sort of feeling, both of them denying some sort of feeling, they're fighting about on the surface level, this level of like friendship that Lorelai should have been obligated to. But underneath it, there's all of these things happening in their brains and their hearts about each other. And I think that's why that fight gets so nasty. And I feel like I have had that fight and being like, whoa, where did this, this escalated quickly? And I think it's because of this, you become irrational, you lose all logic in your brain. Word. We're going to go through and talk a bit more in detail about each of these exes and kind of the themes of each of these exes and why for Luke and Lorelai, some of them were necessary and what you gain from dating these types of people, these archetypes that exist, I think, in everybody's life. So for me, I feel like Christopher and Rachel play this role of the ex or the old flame that you kind of have to get over. You kind of have to work through that relationship and get some sort of closure on it before 
you are fully ready and available for a new relationship. Does yeah, that make sense? A hundred percent. And I think it's really interesting that both of the their ex types show up around the same time. And it yeah. ties in, I think, with a lot of the stuff that you were saying in episode one about how sort of overtly thrown together Luke and Lorelai are in the beginning. Because I think if these ex type characters hadn't shown up, they could have had a real shot of it early on. And I don't mm -hmm. think that that would have behooved them. I think that obviously they had like all this sort of trauma or stuff from their past or coping mechanisms that they had to work through. And I think that if they had sort of followed that initial trajectory and gotten together early on, it probably wouldn't have lasted or it would have done them a disservice. So I think like totally. Rachel and Christopher showing up when they did was very purposeful. Yeah. Well, and you see uh, there's an early episode where with the rummage sale where Lorelai happens to wear Rachel's jacket and Luke gets irrational Luke mad about it, like really freaks out about it. So I think you see that there's still a scar there. He hasn't worked through it. He hasn't gotten closure on it. So I think Rachel showing up was completely necessary for him to work through. Yeah. And it's interesting because in a way, they're both kind of similar. Rachel and Christopher are similar to each other in that they have this dangerous quality about them. Like mm -hmm. they both come with a bunch of risks. You know, I think that even right off the bat, Luke's giving Rachel all this shit for like always being the one who leaves. Like she's this adventurous photographer and she's worldly. And I think that that is kind of, you know, sexy to him and, and dangerous, even though that's the thing that he is hurt by and the thing that is, you know, um, hard for him or that he's scared of and kind of the same with Christopher for Lorelai yes he, they have all this history but like he's the one who leaves you know like I yeah. think both of them pose this sort of danger quality that's honestly alluring but at the same time proves to me that what Luke and Lorelai really are looking for is instead more of a sense of like home and security I agree and I think both of these relationships are unresolved because of the danger of each of them, Rachel is unresolved because she left. They didn't have closure. Christopher is unresolved because circumstances never allowed them to give it a little shot. So there's no closure. And I think in the Rachel and Luke relationship, he actually does get the closure. She gives it a real shot. She seems like she is going to stay. And I think the closure for Luke is that he doesn't want it anymore. I don't think he's fully conscious. No, yeah, he doesn't want it anymore. I don't think that Luke would have done the soul homework in that relationship with Rachel if she hadn't forced him to. He wasn't ready to look in and learn from it because even till the bitter end, he was trying to blame it on her and blame it on her and blame it on her. And she was like, no, it's not me this time. I mean, it's cool. The, the like literary nerd in me thinks it's really cool that Rachel is a photographer from a writing standpoint because you've got this small town that's so tight-knit and everyone knows everyone and it's just I had this weird feeling in I think it's the first episode where she shows up where she's taking pictures at the firelight festival and I was like ah like it just felt almost intrusive she's this outsider and she's lovely I love Rachel but it just gave this sense of like oh you are not of this place this isn't your home but again, it's just her sort of observing all these things that are already in motion that she can't necessarily change, even if she wants to. Yeah, she's kind of become 
to your point, same as Christopher. They're both kind of the outsiders in this world that Luke and Lorelai, I think, need to stay in for various reasons. Yeah. And it's so funny because I was so struck by like a lot of Lorelai's suitors can really keep up. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's a testament. The ones who don't keep up are really obvious, you know, like John Hamm is uh, yeah. boring as drywall. But, right. <laughs> but like Christopher and, and Max, even you see them like, walking around the town with Lorelai and Rory and bantering and picking out movies and all this stuff. And they really fit. Like they really do a good job fitting into her life. But I think that's just it. They're fitting into her life. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's not bending at all. She's not bending at all. And at the same time with Luke, it's also his life. It is these perfect compliments instead of someone else sliding into what already makes her comfortable. Right. Yeah, totally. So I think, In Lorelai voices, you know, Christopher, I think I sabotaged every relationship because I was waiting for you, but now I'm fine and I can move through it. And then they do get together. And I actually feel like she doesn't fully close the book on Christopher at the end of season two when he leaves her for Sherry, which is why that issue resurfaces. (laughs) But I do think that Luke is able to close the book on Rachel. Yeah. Okay, now we're going to talk about the Max person in your life, the Nicole and Jason to an extent, but I think Max really plays this role of this like perfectly good option, this kind of 90% option where 90% of it is there, you just can't fully, there's something missing. Mm-hmm. And I think for, I mean, we have our own opinions about Nicole, but to Luke for most of the time, Nicole is great in Max is amazing in so many ways, leading to the point where Lorelai literally says, I wish I loved him. You have no idea how much. Well, and Max is Um, kind of the first time that we see someone who can like really hang with Lorelai and Rory mm -hmm. beyond the people who we already know can. And Max is stable and wants to banter with them and wants to come over and eat pizza and watch movies. Like he fits so seamlessly in. So it's like, oh, wait, like what a perfect option. And he's smart and he has a great job. So yeah, everything should be on the up and up. I actually feel like this is maybe one of the moments of Gilmore Girls that taught me the most and one of the moments that feels the most personal to me because I think I have had that relationship uh, where on paper, everything looks great. And to the rest of the world, you should be blissfully happy and you are very happy there's just something missing that you can't quite name so when emily talks about how giddy she felt before her wedding and wanting to try on the dress all the time and then that moment where lorelei tells rory that the wedding is off because she didn't want to try her wedding dress on every night that moment for me is so cathartic because it's that it's the giddiness it's the butterflies it's this gut feeling that makes somebody go from a stable, loving, perfectly good option to your person, your match. And I think it's really hard to identify that feeling sometimes, that last 10%. A hundred percent. And it's, uh, this is a hard one too, because I feel like we contend with a lot of people's opinions on this one whenever you are in that situation, because you feel like you should want to be with them. Everyone loves them, so why not? Um, When you have this pretty good 90% option, it brings up almost a sense of guilt because 
it's like, I, I wish you could be the one, you know what I mean? Like, I wish that you loving me the way you love me was enough. Yeah. Which is so hard. You know what I mean? Like being the people we are and wanting to accept the most beautiful love. If someone can love you in this exquisite way, that should be enough, but Mm -hmm. it's not. And that's, I think sort of the beauty of being human. There's no shoulds. It's, it's intangible. There's something that you can't really grab about it. It's okay to just not, I mean, and she's attracted to him, but like on a basic level, you don't have to like someone because they like you. You don't have to be attracted to someone because they're attracted to you. And there can be everything right about someone on paper and the spark's just not there. And that's still okay. Like you can't, you don't have any control over that. Yeah. And I think it's something we see in a lot of TV plots. You know what I mean? Like it's the same thing with Aiden on Sex and the City. It's kind of to the same. I haven't watched Veronica Mars in a while, but it's kind of the Piz plot line too of like, he's great. Piz is stable. He's an amazing option. He just isn't epic. He's not magic. He's not dangerous. He's not her person. Mm -hmm. But Piz is wonderful. It's even, you see it in movies all the time. It's Sweet Home Alabama. Like, how dare they cast Patrick Dempsey as the guy she doesn't end up with. But I'm so glad they did because that's such a good example of, like, there's nothing else wrong with him. He's perfect. He's just not Josh Lucas. He's just not that person. And I actually think, so we're going to play the last scene before she goes in and tells Rory that she's not going to get married is the hoopah scene, which is, I think, a Gilmore Girls staple. So we're going to play that audio and then talk about it. Did you mean all those things you said about marriage? What things? You really want me to repeat them to you? No. I mean, I guess for some people, marriage, you know isn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, it's probably better than being hobbled or something like that. And people can evolve together, don't you think? Maybe. Yoko and John Lennon did. They just got closer and closer as the years went by. At the end, they had the same face. It got a little spooky. But cool. Yeah, they were lucky. I guess if you can find that one person, you know, who's willing to put up with all your crap and doesn't want to change you or dress you or you know, make you eat French food, then marriage can be all right. But that's only if you find that person. Yeah, if you find that person. No one has ever made me a hookup before. Well, you only get married once, theoretically. Yeah, you only get married once. What I think is significant about that scene is they directly reference if you find that person, and she repeats it even like to yourself, if you find that person, and earlier in the episode is where Max kind of gets pissed at her for not giving him the key, you know, and he's like, you have to think about anyone but yourself for one moment of the day. Um, not that I think that's not the reason they don't get married, but I think that... I think it sticks in her head. Yeah, it sticks in her head. And I think, obviously, this is post-Emily and the Bachelorette Party in that speech. So I think just having it phrased in that way of sure you can evolve together if you find that person. And I think it's as simple as it's not her person and her kind of coming to terms with that. Yeah. And it, that all brings me back to the thousand daisies and what I wanted to say about that, because oh yeah, obviously that is literally what she said she wanted because he proposes to mm-hmm. her off the cuff in the spur of the moment. And she's like, that's not how it happens. You need a thousand yellow daisies and a horse. And I don't know what the horse is doing there, except maybe you're riding in. That seems like too much. She says all this stuff. And so he just does all that stuff for her, which is very sweet and loving and attentive. 
But in spite of the fact that it's what she said, I don't think that's what she needs or wants at all. Um, yeah. I mean, if you look at her actions, she spent her whole life moving away from the grand gesture. She spent her whole life moving away from overt displays and just sort of big, grand anything. I think she needs a love that is quieter and doesn't need yeah. to prove itself, which is so uh, demonstrated by the scene of the hoopa because, I mean, he didn't do that to prove anything. You know what I mean? He just did yeah. it. And this whole scene is so quiet and it's just like a quiet show of love. And I think that that's mm. really where she lives. I don't think that she knows that yet, obviously, based on the fact that she accepted the proposal and almost goes through with the wedding. But I think that is such a good indicator of that little 10% or whatever it is that just doesn't sit right with her. It's not what she needs. Yeah. So I think that he plays this important role of her figuring out what she doesn't want. And I think we all have to go through those people Mm -hmm. that teach us what we don't want before we can accept what we do honestly to jump ahead a little bit too i think the same thing is true of jason or like he, i think we can talk about jason now yeah, yeah like he's totally great and lovely and i think that that's a big move for her to date someone sort of from her parents world um mm-hmm. and i think that he in certain ways proves himself not to be like they go on their first date and she doesn't like how like private and fancy it is and then they go to the grocery store and they do the grocery store date and that's all cute and then they like secret date for a while and Everyone knows secret dating is sexy. So like we're all on board. And I just think he tries so hard or honestly, not even that he's doing anything false. I think that parts of him are the good parts of the world she came from. But it's still this he still has one foot in the door. Uh, She's always going to choose her family over everything else. But like the fact that their breakup is sort of over this lawsuit with her father. I feel like he's still very much in that world that isn't hers. I also think, I think mostly Jason is a very well-written plot device to drive, obviously, the Richard storyline. But also, I think it's significant that she does choose her family. She chooses her parents over mm-hmm. over him. And I don't know that she originally would have. So I think he does demonstrate for us an audience, as an audience that she has made some room for her parents. Yeah, and and I think he's a really good like you said plot device in in showing that it's not the Gilmores that she doesn't like. It's this world of like falsehood or extravagance or materialism yeah. whatever. So it's not her parents. Her parents she does love in spite of yeah. all the things that have come to pass. Yeah. I also think Jason really does. You said this earlier but like Jason keeps up with her wit. I think even better than Max and Christopher do. Like Jason is very fast paced and equally as ambitious as she is. And they have that episode where they're both like taking phone calls and stuff. Um, So I think it really does present that even if someone is as ambitious as her can keep up with her on a pace level, they're still not the right person. Yeah. You know, so let's talk about Nicole. If we must. If we must. (laughs) So before, obviously, they go on the cruise and she comes back and she ends up cheating on him. When we first meet her, she's very, I mean, there's nothing special about her, but she's fine and she's into Luke. And so I think 
to some people, that would have been enough. I just think it's so apparent that she doesn't belong in the Stars Hollow world. Yeah. And doesn't embrace it or accept it or love it or make it make any attempt to make it a part of her life. Yeah. There's just always something offbeat. Even right away she walks in and she's like, I'm looking for Lucas Danes. And just like, oh, Lucas. Like, it's just there's just something oddly formal about her, which is, listen, nothing wrong with that. But like, there's nothing formal about Luke in the slightest. And while I'm a huge believer in opposites attract, it just seems so unnatural of a fit to the extent that even like they talk and they have their first conversation and then Jess has to be like, oh, she was flirting with you. And Luke's like, what? The fact that he didn't even pick up on any undertones is really <laughs> interesting to me. I think not a great sign. Just, no, not a great sign. And I think she's just a stable option, which is funny because then she proves not to be at all. But right. I think for someone who like Luke, who doesn't really have a strong family presence and we've now seen him like back and forth with Lorelai, who's been all over the place and we've seen him with um Rachel who was physically literally all over the place and not stable in here for him I think a a safe boring option was pretty attractive to him yeah you know I think he liked the idea of someone who would just be around so I think you have the ex you need to get over you have that person that is your 90 percent, which is fully a phrase I'm stealing from one day in December by Josie Silver have you read that Ooh, no I have not oh it's so good it's like a rom-com set over 10 years and she talks about because I, I knew it was from somewhere Ooh, i want to read so that i did not make up 90 percent. it's so good um and then you have kind of the casual dating and you know the john ham the alex the kid from <laughs> and i think it is that that can sometimes that's what drives luke i think the craziest which leads him to being really mean about when he's really weird about her dating the kid that's like probably 23 or 24. So funny. I mean, yeah, like the people, and it's so funny because in that one regard, it's really one-sided. Like you don't really see Luke do like any casual dating. No. But you definitely see it with Lorelai. On the one hand, I'm like, good for her. You know what I mean? Like as a single mom who's young and hot and successful, like go for it, you know? Also like mad respect for her for knowing when to draw the line too. She goes on that one date with John Hamm and then Emily's super invested in it. And she's like, yeah, mom, there's not going to be another date. It was a dud. Like it was not fun, you know, mm-hmm. and being able to be like, you know, to try things with sort of no stakes on them and say, yeah, that wasn't for me. Yeah. But the fact that then Luke is sitting there watching and seeing her try things with no stakes and he's sitting there on this issue with the biggest stakes. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. I also like that we have not identified John Hamm's character name at all. I think it's like Peyton or something. Peyton, weird. it is Peyton. Peyton Sanders. It's something very it's douchey. something super weird. Which is perfect. You can just see John Hamm like going out for a co-star with the name Peyton Sanders. So funny. I think what this brings up for me is some people are people who need to casually date, whether it's to get that out of their system or just because it's fun and it makes them feel good. And some people are not. And Luke is not a casual dater. Mm-hmm. And to the point where he literally says, when Rory's on that bad date at Yale and she calls Luke and Lorelai and they're having movie night, and Luke goes on this rant of, even if I had dated, I'd still be single. It's a gut thing. You know, I know right away if I'm comfortable with somebody. I knew it with Rachel. I knew it with Nicole. And then he like falls asleep on the couch 
in that episode, which I think is a, a nice sign that he's comfortable he's there. Comfortable. Yeah. But I don't know that Lorelai actually is a casual dater. I think it's just something she needed to try on. And I think sometimes we all do to know one way or the other if that's someone that we are or not. I don't think it's someone that I am, but I think that I'm glad I have gone on the casual dates I've gone on. You know, you just you learn more about yourself in either way. And I think if we had never seen Lorelai try it on, we would have been skeptical because she is so young and hot. I totally agree with you across the board because that's how I feel myself where it's like in my soul. I definitely am not a casual dater. I don't think it brings me any like joy or fulfillment, but I do kind of like doing it in that it's practice, which sounds so weird. But like, I mean, listen, Mm -hmm. dating apps are trash. They're fun and it's fun to swipe (laughs) and whatever. But like, so I have enjoyed the dating apps I've gone on, not because or the date the dates from dating. I have enjoyed the dates from dating apps that I've gone on, not because they were good. They were atrocious, but because they were dates and it was just (laughs) to think about it. I feel like I'm logging my 10,000 hours to steal from Malcolm Gladwell in a way that I'm sure he never Mm -hmm. anticipated Um, as a dater in order to be equipped when the person comes along with whom I don't want to fuck it up. Yeah. And I think that this actually leads nicely to a conversation that Luke and Lorelai have where it's after Suki tells her, like, look him right in the eye. It's right there. And she goes and she talks to him and she says, hey, are you good at dating? What? <laughs> dating? Do you have that down? OK, if this is about that kid. Um... No, it's not about anything. It's just a question. Well, I don't know if I have it down. Considering I live with my nephew, I'd say probably not. I don't have it down either. I've never been very good at it, really. Never even really liked it. Too much what if. I I like things I can count on. Why are you telling me that? I don't have very many people in my life who are in my life permanently, forever. They will always be there for me. I will always be there for them. You know? There's Rory and Suki, this town, and... You, I mean, at least I think I've got. You do. And I think what that scene is it used to be really confusing to me because I wondered if it was her letting him down, but I don't think it is. I think it is her somehow acknowledging that she is not ready for the risk of losing him. And this is in kind of her casual dating phase. So I think something in there, she is acknowledging that he is not worth the risk. So I think sometimes if you are watching your what if person date a bunch of people or date uh, an old flame or date somebody that is maybe in your opinion wrong for them, sometimes I think you do just have to let them go through that because it, I'm not saying, you know, wait and pine. You I mean, know, that's an option, but you that. don't have to take it. But I'm saying, like, sometimes it is important for people to have these experiences, either because they are not ready for the big experience, uh, the high stakes experience of dating your big what if person, or they still need to learn more about themselves before they are open to something big and real. And they may be conscious of it or they may not be. And I think. Luke and Lorelai are to a degree. I think this is the most conscious of it. We see Lorelai in this conversation. Yeah. And what I think is really cool about that conversation is it bookends what you were saying about 
the whole casual dating issue and how that's so exhausting to Luke because it's exhausting to him and it's exasperating and it's this, God, will she date anyone but me? But at the same time, it lets her know and it lets us know that like, yes, though he feels that way, he's not going anywhere. He's going to stick around even though this is annoying and difficult and hard to see. He's not going to run away because of it. Also, before we move on from the casual dating, I we would there wasn't much to say about Alex, but I just need to shout him out because I just I feel as if Billy Burke really missed the Oscar for each and every one of the Twilight movies. Mm-hmm. And I just wanna commend his work as floppy haired Alex, who really was pretty boring as well. He's pretty much a yeah. paper, but Billy Burke, that's all I gotta say. Um Alex does take her on like a cute coffee date though, which is also a I think is really cute. Yeah, the coffee tasting. I was like, wait to see her. And that's a good date idea. So, you know, someone steal that. And they go to a a play or they go to a musical with Suki and Jackson. Oh my God, they do. They go into the city. They go into the city and they're like, it's really, it was great. I loved the lighting. And he's like, that was terrible. And then Suki and uh, Lorelai start writing their musical. I am mad. I'm sad. I'm mad. I'm sad. I'm sad. (laughs) I wonder... What musical on Broadway? Because you know, Amy Sherman Palladino is like such a Broadway fan that I wonder if she had a musical in mind that she was thinking about. Roasting. Roasting. I would die to be roasted by Amy Sherman Palladino. That is my dream. <laughs> so, what do you say to a friend who is watching their big back of the mind person, you know, their big what if crush date someone else? It's kind of a difficult answer because there's not really an action item in it. But my advice to said friend or self would be to just hold space. Um, Because what's most interesting, I think, about watching your what if person date somebody else is what it does to you. It gives you an opportunity to observe how you feel. Almost like it makes me think about um, when you flip a coin. When you flip a coin, it's not about the answer that you get from the coin, like heads or tails. But you say like, okay, like if it's heads, it's this. If it's tails, it's that. You flip a coin, you get an answer. You also get a pit in your stomach. Yeah. Regardless. So either you're like, yay, it was that. Or, oh God. So really what that tells you is how you feel about whatever the coin toss told you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what's really useful for about watching your what if person date somebody else is that's one of the best opportunities to find out how you feel, whereas you otherwise might not know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It allows you to make that choice of what are you going to do? Are you going to date other people because you are trying to distract yourself? Are you going to date other people because maybe other people are better for you than this person? Or mm. are you going to pine and wait? And I think we see Luke initially like try to just date other people and I think that's kind of what Nicole is is a large form distraction and then eventually I think he kind of just decides to to wait and I don't necessarily recommend that but I do I have such a hard time because I'm a hopeless romantic telling people to get over somebody because I don't think you get over somebody until you are ready to get over them and I think that comes usually I think that is an internal decision on your side when you, as you were saying, when you are in touch with it and come to that conclusion on your own. But I think sometimes our guts are right when it is right to not totally close the book on somebody when it is, you know, like, I think, I think there is a gut feeling in there of this isn't over. Well, and I think there's something to be said about waiting because it sounds in its nature, passive. Right. But I think sometimes it's not because 
waiting is the active choosing to not do something else. And it's uh, not to like mix all our shows here, but since we were talking about him, Piz from Veronica Mars has a good speech about that in season three where he talks about music and he's like, you know, I'm not going to listen to, I forget what bad example he says. He said, I'm not going to listen to like pop, whatever, just because my Nico case CD is in the car. You know, like I'm not going to grab something just because it's something, which in that instance leads her to Logan, which oops, Piz, you messed up. But I think it's that same principle applies here where it's like Luke's not going to run around grabbing at anything just because it's something when he knows that there's something more quality waiting. Right. And I think the change, which we'll talk about next episode, happens when he decides that he is done with waiting and then he's willing to do the work to earn her and to make changes. Um, And I think that takes active decision making and a lot of work, which we'll talk about next time. Yeah. All right. So which brings us to our final segment of the episode, which is called All Aboard. Toot toot. Toot toot. I was trying to remember what a boat sounded like. I'm sure it's not toot toot. It's like wah. Toot toot. Which is so attractive. In this segment, we share the moment from this segment of watching that causes us to be completely on board with this couple to completely ship it and or understand it in a deeper way. So for me, this is, uh, this moment is not even super specific to Luke and Lorelai's romance, but it happens around this time where she's not in a relationship. She's kind of casually dating Jason. And I think it really sets up what the relationship is. And it's just, I find myself referencing this moment so often in my life that I just had to talk about it. So it's where it's in the episode, The Incredible Sinking Lorelai's, where Rory and Lorelai are both going through their own hard things. Lorelai is really stressed about the inn and, you know, Suki lets her down and it seems like everyone in her life is letting her down and she's overworked and she has this moment to look. You know, there are very few times in my life when I find myself sitting around thinking, I wish I was married. And But today, I mean, I'm... I'm happy, you know? I like my life. I like my friends. I like my stuff, my time, my space, my TV. Not sure. But every now and then, just for a moment, I wish I had a partner, someone to pick up the slack, someone to uh, wait for the cable guy, make me coffee in the morning meet the stupid sink before it gets sent back to Canada. And I think this rings so true for me because so often in my life, I like my life so much and I feel very fulfilled as an independent human woman. But sometimes you want that person to be what I think she's describing here is a true partnership. Someone literally to pick up the slack, to meet the sink guy, to whatever. And it actually very much reminds me of the Joe March speech in The Greta Gerwig, The Little Woman. It like, I truly in the theater, like started sobbing at that moment with the speech where she's just like, women are built for more than just love. And I'm so sick of it, but I'm so lonely. And I think that's a really real sentiment of you can be proud of yourself and your life but still crave fulfillment fulfillment and partnership and love and and it doesn't make you any less of a independent person i think this is partially why i love the luke and lorelei relationship so much because this sets up what their relationship becomes which is him 
you know, like we said, it's very acts of service. It is him being a partner for her, finding the ways in which she needs help that she maybe doesn't even realize or you know, whatever it is, I just feel such a connection to that sentiment of, you know, when I'm like hosting a party, like sometimes I just need somebody to like restock the cheese plate for me. And if you can do that, I am, I am all aboard. I am on the ship. Well, and it's this, it's the concept too, um, that I like to think of as the and, because we're used to thinking very binary or like either I'm this or I'm that, you know, like either Mm -hmm. I'm a self-sufficient woman who's independent or I'm in a relationship and a partnership and I like need help. both can be true at the same time. You can be a totally complete self-sufficient adult woman and want companionship. Both of those things can exist at the same time. So that's super cool. Yeah, Uh, Your moment's so profound. My my moment's cool too, but basically the moment for me was, we know from episode one that I like watching them sort of lose control. They're both very Mm -hmm. smart, capable people who are very in control and very self-sufficient. So I like seeing them off of their balance a little bit. So for me, there's kind of two, but my main one is I really like that scene when Rachel shows them the photo of Luca Morlai at the Firelight Festival. Because for Rachel, it's not a big deal at all. She's not like testing them. It's no big deal. She's just like, look at this photo. You guys almost look like a couple. And Lorelai's like, oh yeah, okay. And Luke's like, what's that? And she's like, it's a picture of us. And he can barely get a word out. Yeah. Like he becomes just unintelligible. Like he, it's, it's, he's so off in that moment. And I was like, oh, okay, got it. You are not on balance in this situation with these two women here. Like you are not equipped to handle just a friendship with Lorelai in the face of being with Rachel. So I really like that moment. And then just honorable mention to the scene where he teaches her how to fish Okay, fine. I met this guy, Ah. and uh, he's kind of an outdoorsy guy. Oh, just your type. No, not exactly, but he's nice. And uh, he was talking about fishing, and I think I said something like, oh, hey, that sounds great. And so he invited me, and here I am. I got it. (laughs) Sorry I didn't tell you. Why didn't you tell me? I don't know. I just felt stupid getting rooked into the thing in the first place, and then... Plus, you don't want to hear about my personal life. So on both sides, they are dealing with this, like, it's weird that you felt weird about this. Mm -hmm. We both acknowledge that it's weird. So I enjoyed that one as well. But not fully addressing it, which is classic in both of their behaviors. My honorable mention (laughs) is the moment where Suki tells Luke that the wedding to Max is off. (gasps) So good. So good. That's what I watched this morning. I was like, I need to rewatch this. It's so funny. It's a very good performance on Melissa McCarthy's part too, because just her knowing smile, like we've all been that friend. Um, He's all mad at Kirk. And then Suki kind of tells him, the wedding's off. And then he just like goes over and gives Kirk a new cup of coffee and is jaunting around that diner, like, hey, how's it going? Like, how's it's everything? So happy. He's so Joy, happy. So happy. And it's so, it's such a cathartic moment, I think, because we've all, I think I will admit that I've been that person. Okay, so that's all we have for you guys today. Um, So find us on Instagram and let us know your thoughts about all of the other people that Luke and Lorelai date. Let us know who we missed too, because obviously like there are smaller people that sort of weren't worth mentioning. But like, if you're a big Rune fan, you let us know. Oh yeah, if we want to count Rune. (laughs) Um, We don't. (laughs) 
Depper too. Let us know and let us know what your thoughts are on what each of these people brought out in Luke and Lorelai, why they're important, and, you know, your experiences on watching your big crush person date other people. We want to hear. We want to talk about it. Next episode, we're talking about them actually getting together in the early days of their dating. So we will do the big raincoats and recipes, big first kiss moment, and all of that fun stuff. So tune in next time. We're excited to talk about it. So exciting. Bye. Goodbye. All right, everyone. That's our show, as they say. Thank you so much to Katie Butterwitz for being here. You can follow her on Instagram at Katie underscore Bud and on Twitter and TikTok at Katie Butterwitz. Thank you to Chris Meisner for composing our fabulous theme music that you're currently listening to. You can find him on Instagram at Chris underscore Meisner, M-E-I-S-S-N-E-R. And you can follow the podcast on Instagram while you're there. We're at Talking Ship Podcast or visit our website, TalkingShipPodcast.com. And if you want to follow me, I'm at OnlyMegan815 on all of the platforms. That's Megan with no H. Thank you very much. And 815 like Flight 815 from Lost. Yep, that's quite literally the reason. Please, please subscribe to and review the pod if you want to be a pal. And if you don't want to be a pal, that's ultimately your choice. I can't really stop you, but I do hope you keep listening either way. So that's it. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you feel satisfied and satiated. And I hope you join us again. This has been Talking Ship. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.